0: Hello, my name is Russell Howcroft and I've been, well, I've lived a lot of lives. I've been an ad man, a CEO, a chair, an author, a panelist, and I'm currently co-host of a radio show on 3RW and I'm partner chief creative officer at the Sayers Group. And I host this podcast. Welcome to Conversations. That's Conversations, a Sayers podcast. Throughout my time, I've learned that so much in life starts with, yep, a conversation. And that's what we're gonna do right here today. And today, we're going to be speaking to Amber Collins. Amber is the Chief Marketing Officer of Australia Post. She's a hugely successful executive, one of the great execs, I think, in Australia. I've known her a long time. I've watched her career with great interest over actually a number of decades. So, Amber, this is Freddie. Freddie produces the conversation. So what Freddie, what Freddie likes to do at the start of our conversations is to play you some soundtrack, sound effects. Okay, and because then what you're going to do is you're going to decide which of the sound effects most appeals to you to have a conversation. Does that make sense? Okay,
1: give it a go. Give let's it have, a go. Let's have a listen. Yeah.
0: Here's the first one. Oh, that's pretty evocative. Okay. Yeah. So it yeah. sounds you know like
1: rain on the roof. Is it? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs>
0: it's actually a Oops. fire, but still, it's attractive. Yeah.
1: It's waves. Surf. Oh, on nice, the beach, nice.
0: so we're fireside. We're beachside.
1: Chatter chatter.
0: Pub. Maybe that's a that's a pub. I'd say, yeah, no, not a restaurant. Pub.
1: I, I would always go with the last one.
0: <laughs> There's one more, isn't there? <laughs> oh. oh, more bayside. On a boat.
1: Oh, no, me hearties. Exactly. Um. Yeah, I think Birds If his fingers. Yes. Um, I think I would probably go for the nature one. <laughs> the nature one. Because I love nature. Oh,
0: oh Sorry. okay. I was hoping you were gonna go for the pub. Okay, anyway.
1: okay, I'll change my mind. Go okay, back. so Amber, no, Hello. all
0: right, nature, absolutely fine. So that's where we are for the rest of the um this whatever however long we talked for. Mm-hmm. Next half an hour. Okay, so Amps, um the first time I ever saw you was on a television commercial.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that's, that is quite a long time ago now, but just tell us about that.
1: Okay. Um, I mean, the reason I really got into advertising was because I was brought up around advertising being made, um, and, um, and being either in it or seeing people I knew in it. Now, it all started because a friend of my mother's was a casting agent. So that put my mother into a lot of commercials and it put me into some commercials too. At the same time, we lived in a very old house that was quite, um, atmospheric and well known in the area I lived in. Um, old and creaky but you know it had a look and so it also ended up in a number of commercials and so yeah I I mean I had to end up in advertising because (laughs) I used to walk around Woolworths and I'd see my mother on you know big signs around the store you know and then as I say I was lucky enough to lucky enough um, to appear in some commercials which people saw and remembered and um, from a, a little baby my first one was Heinz when I was still a little baby and then right up to when I was a teenager, um, yes, dancing around in soft drinks and all the rest of it. So, yeah, yeah that's where you saw me, Russ.
0: That's where I saw you. That's exactly <laughs> it. So I have known you. I, well, we should declare I have known you for a long time. Yes. But I'd seen you before I knew you. So the, a- the advertising thing, um, mm-hmm. obviously we do, we do have that in common. Mm-hmm. Now, did you deliberately set out to be in advertising or did it just happen?
1: It sort of just happened because I couldn't really think of anything Mm. else I wanted to do. But I was interested in creativity and I was always interested in business. And I grew up in a house as well where business was discussed. So it was sort of marketing seemed like the right way to go because it was that combination of creativity and and business. And then, you know, advertising uh, seemed like an interesting place to be. The people, you know, had a dynamism around it, particularly at that time. And um, having met and spoken to quite a few people in the industry, had friends whose parents were in it, et cetera, yeah, that's where it ended up. And so when I went after university and I went travelling and then I went, ended up in the UK... Um, my first pitch was, I've got to get a job in advertising. And so I ended up the most lowly paid person at Saatchi & Saatchi mm-hmm. in London, which, of course, um, I'm deeply indebted to uh, the woman who hired me, Penny Furness, who um, is still a dear friend. Because really, once you've started in, and I call it the university of advertising, When mm-hmm. you start in somewhere like that, you learn how to think strategically. You learn how to think about how consumers absorb, retain and react to information. And um, so I'm, yeah, forever grateful for that.
0: So this that'd be 1987, 88? Uh, no,
1: it started at Saatchi in 1990.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Ninete- 1990, now Charlotte Street, I yes. think. So, I mean, look, obviously I, I could talk about advertising <laughs> and I could talk about Charlotte Street forever. Yeah. Um, they rejected me. Um, so Charlotte Street, um, that was... Dead set the capital of advertising. Wasn't that was, so. Yeah. Te- so, just maybe explain to listeners just just be as evocative as you can when describing Charlotte Sachi and Sachi Charlotte
1: Street. Okay, we're talking probably five hundred people uh, between the ages of twenty five and forty. Uh, the majority the majority of them around thirty years of age who were considered some of the greatest industry um, legends of the time across all the disciplines, creative, planning, um, media at the beginning. Um, and account handling and these were characters these were characters of the industry who were you know in our small advertising world were famous and had a a following everyone wanted to know what they were doing they could walk in they could just start meetings with people because people wanted to meet them Uh, they um, won pitches based on their character and their personality and we were doing work that at the time was considered to be you know in the popular vernacular things like silk cut you know everyone at that time would know those castlemaine 4x everyone would know those at the time and a lot of you know real sort of category breaking activity. so you know british airways i mean people have still have memories of the british airways ad and for many people i don't know who who don't know the australian commercial um, the beer commercial the big ad was really built on the idea of the, the, what was called the British Airways Global Commercial, where a bunch of people ran out and formed a face. And that was a bit of a piss take of that done here, which I think they did brilliantly. But yeah, so some of the m- most famous things at the time, Schweppes, I did a very big campaign over I think, 12 ads with John Cleese at the time. So look, you know, we won, we won all the awards, and um, there was a lot of entertainment. I use the word loosely, and hijinks at the time. I <laughs> also use that word in a sanitized fashion. It was. It, people have heard me talk about it. It was a really, really, really um, demanding but exciting environment to be in.
0: And when I think about the location, mm-hmm. there's sort of there's something about just the uh, you know the intensity of the village. Oh yeah, and. I mean, you know, if you wa- if you weren't out the front door, turn left, there'd be a pub, turn right, there'd be a pub. Yep. You know, like it literally was surrounded by opportunities to socialise beyond the workplace. That's right,
1: that's right. And I think that's missing. In fact, in the end, we started our own pub um, called The Pregnant Man after one of... um. Charles Saatchi's most famous um, commercials press ads actually and uh, yeah it was a drinking it was a full drinking and dining culture it was next to Bloomsbury so it had that sort of artistic feel to it as well Um, but yeah right in the thumping pumping heart a a little short uh, trot down to Soho and um, Golden Square and all the rest of it so it really was um yeah, I mean, it was a, I, I don't want to be too uh, ridiculous about it, but it was a bit of a true north at the time for, for, for advertising in, in London and in the world.
0: For sure. Now, um, did you have an overdraft when you were working in London?
1: Yeah, I, well, that's, when I, I think the funny thing I remember is that one year my expenses were more than my salary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because back in the day, you always, the most junior person paid. You're not allowed to do that anymore. I have, you know, the most senior people have to pay now, but. You know, it didn't matter. They didn't give a hoot that you didn't have any money. You had to pay. And so your credit card was just maxing, 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 and then claiming, claiming, claiming. It was a full time job. But yeah, that was, I remember that year, and people were looking at me blanking. I said, no, no, no. I don't have enough money. I don't earn enough. But you were going out. I mean, it's all, but you're going out to lunch minimum three times a week. You entertain the client in a big way once a month. You were at all the events. You know, it was, um, it was, it was a lot of fun.
0: Uh, And of course, back in those days, it was, it wasn't entirely TV-focused, but it was pretty heavily TV in terms of TV advertising. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, funnily enough, I think most of my time was spent on TV and outdoor, really. We did a, a bit of press um, uh, along the way, but if if I think about the large proportion of the um, creative development, it was it was still around telly. I mean, you know, I talked to – I was talking just yesterday with people at work. I was saying, you know, the world is so different now. People – the way we approach media is so complex. Back in the day, you just had to buy, a couple, you know, some sixty-second spots and go home and have a cigarette. You know, really. <laughs> but now, you know, to get those people, your mix has to be so different and constant. And, um, and yeah, that's that was certainly a different world. But outdoor was big too.
0: The agency that I worked at at the time, um, it wouldn't do. They wouldn't do radio, and we we said they won't do radio. Because you can't put it on the wall, (laughs) you couldn't couldn't show people. Yeah, yeah. You could show. And I
1: did. (laughs) You you could do
0: outtakes of a TV commercial could be on the wall, yeah, yeah, and posters could be on the wall, (laughs) and press ads and magazine ads. But you know, radio couldn't be on the wall, so we didn't do it.
1: (laughs) Isn't that funny? Yeah, isn't that funny? Actually, radio. You know, people often say, "What's your ideal channel?" I was like, "There is no such thing as an ideal channel anymore." But we did a lot of radio at Coles um, very effectively um, over the last um, uh, time that I was there. So I certainly changed my, my view of radio over the years.
0: So you left Saatchi to yep. go and work on what really was on its way to being, or perhaps, no, definitely on its way to being, the most famous retail campaign in the UK. That's right. Um, now, Sainsbury's has always been the major advertiser. That's right. And was winning the ad war. Mm-hmm. Which I think that in itself is quite interesting because in that marketplace, people happily talk about an ad wall, which maybe yeah. we don't so much here. Yeah. But then you went over to Low Howard Spink, mm-hmm. and you did you deliberately go there to work on Tesco, yes. or was it just wanting to go yes. and work? No, no. So no, no tell I us delib- that story.
1: Deliberately wanted to go because um, to work on a brand like Tesco, which you know touches practically everyone in the country, was a t- big challenge for me. And also, usually at a place like such, you'd run a portfolio of brands here. Yeah going to this position there is no time for anything else you're running tesco it's got it's got a lot of brands of its own they have a multi-brand positioning in the market they have metro stores they have big large extra stores all sorts of things and you know obviously the petrol business as well so uh, that was a really exciting opportunity for me to just solely focus on one brand i love supermarkets i'm an absolute sag of them. i can walk around supermarkets as long as anyone wants me to <laughs> so that was always really really attractive to me
0: yeah now I think it's interesting for the for people to to understand to learn that I mean I think we all know that Tesco is a brilliant case study. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a brilliant UK case study. Right. That, and then executives have left Tesco, gone around the world. Yes. Suppliers have left, te- left Tesco, gone around the world. But Tesco wasn't wasn't that big. Uh, it wasn't that successful. Let's say mid eighties. But by no. the time you get to mid nineties, it's braining it. Yes. So what was the change?
1: Well, I. D- I think that um, the leadership at Tesco was exceptional, absolutely exceptional. And as you say, some of those people are now considered to be some of the greatest marketing and strategic minds in the UK. So um, I was lucky enough to have the experience of working with many of those people. But they, something, you know, as I said, I was just saying, unless something changes, nothing changes. And they decided that they were going to up the quality and they were going to stop operating at that entry level and Mm -hmm. being sort of, cheap and nasty which is where they were positioned that's right they were very much like the cheap and nasty uh, cheapest um supermarket and that they were going to up their quality credentials and that takes investment and it takes time and it takes commitment and that's what they did and that leadership um should be applauded for that i was lucky enough to come in um after a lot of the groundwork had been done every little helps as a platform had been launched although the recognition of that line was very minimal and i still have conversations all the time about when people say why is there such low recognition i was like well i know one of the most famous advertising lines in in the UK took a long time to build and that's why I always try to encourage um clients or you know wherever I'm working to stick you know just stick Mm -hmm. for a while and you'll see see what happens because that's sort of what happened there so they found this space your old um Mm -hmm. friend Paul Weinberg and um and around every little helps and it was fantastic such a um, flexible line to be able that we could use in value we could use in quality we could use in so- service we could use on the rewards campaign yeah. so it had that op- opportunity and um, and from there yes we invented um, created the the campaigns the, the Dotty campaign that was just so m- much loved um as part of the fabric of of, of of the British people
0: and am i right in saying that that's the period that retailers sort of dug themselves even deeper into the british psych or is that just me being romanticizing it
1: i think that they stuck their heads up um and that's um that was a bold thing to do at the time and became leaders and I, I think that you know tesco um sainsbury's and i mean i think marks and spencer more recently a friend of mine's um the marketing director there is doing an amazing job of just stepping things up and being prepared to lead in the market yeah. and and i think that that Builds a lot of credibility with customers, and yes, having bold advertising and and having that you know consistent brand awareness out there, not hiding and you know having the confidence to do it, and that certainly did yeah come into the British British psyche.
0: And, and was part of the confidence that Tesco displayed was, again, this might be me romanticising it, but mm-hmm. they went to they determined that, that that they would invest in their brand, mm-hmm. so there was a tradition of retail agencies. With retail clients, yes, and yet they determined, you know what, we're going to go and buy the best, yep, and we're going to play with the best, and we're going to spend the money that's required in order to have the very best. This is not in an advertising context. Yes. The very best individuals, that's such right. as yourself and the agency, that are going to help us succeed.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I'll take it to negotiations, actually, which is a strange segue. But you know, negotiations with Tesco about our fees were always the most pleasant conversation because they knew we. Needed to be paid well to support and sustain the quality that they wanted. And we needed them to feel, you know, both sides needed to feel like it was a win win situation. And they were really positive negotiations. So, yes, and, you know, it's funny nowadays, I read a lot of marketing theory about, you know, um, brand building versus activation. I mean, I I sort of, that's what we were doing the whole time. And that's what we were doing at Coles too. So you're always trying to keep your brand present in a big way and create those distinct memories and feelings with with customers but at the same time we were i mean you sort of talk about not mentioning a, a an ad war with the words we were never allowed to say was price war but yeah. you know we were in one and with sainsbury's and that's when we took the took took the took the lead because um we went we were going toe to toe in local markets on you know, basket size comparisons and all sorts of stuff, at the same time as you've got Jane Horrocks on the television talking about how we're adding value through new baby clubs or whatever it might be. So you're always running that two speed.
0: So it's interesting, isn't it, because the uh, the language over there, so an ad war, but what what you used to say or what I remember being in meetings and people would talk about, well, they're consuming the advertising, as in the consumer consumes the advertising, and then they reward the best advertiser. So is that just an argument of convenience or do you buy it?
1: I think it, it's, it's viable if everything else is in place. So I, I spend a lot of time trying to drive the other factors because, you know, the fastest way to drive yourself out of business is do a great advertising campaign to a product that's not so good. Mm. So, you know, I'm always wary um, about advertising service, for instance. So saying, we've got great service. Well, I mean, if you've got 12 million customers coming through a week. <laughs> something's going to go wrong and people are going to go, well, you don't have great... So, you know. So yeah. it's quite difficult to manage that. But I think that more... You know, and know, am afraid Ted Horton would say, spend more time building the cake and baking the cake, the absolute solid foundations of the product, um, the performance, the availability, um, the quality, and then advertising is the icing on the cake. Yeah. And when... And advertising creates those feelings. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt through all the work I've done that... Well-known brands, fame-feeling frequency, well-known brands that are famous that you feel good about and that are easy to access yep. and that that experience is good. They've just proven to do better.
0: So the fame-feeling frequency, mm-hmm. um, obviously retail, that's hardcore, mm-hmm. that, that's the pillars of doing it well. And I know you love food. Yep. Um, so the notion of being in a advertising environment, premium advertising environment, promoting a product, promoting a retail outlet that is moving up the food chain, so to speak – being and selling food, a great passion of yours, and then you said, "You know what? I'm going to go and do a brand thing." Yeah, you went off to Interbrand. Yeah, so, so I the think advertising industry must have been be devastated. <laughs> that's
1: hysterical. I think that they well, they are. would have been upset that's, that you left. I think that's hysterical. In fact, I know that I was very lucky, mate. Um that I worked with at Saatchi, Rita Clifton, who's now extremely well-known in the UK, sits on a large number of boards and brand advisories over there. She came to be the CEO of Interbrand and she asked me to come over and try something new. And I thought it was time to try something new and I absolutely loved it. I did five years there, such a different place, such a different way of working to the advertising model. You know, you and I can think about being in advertising and sitting there at three o'clock in the morning waiting for the creatives to mm-hmm. do the work, you know yeah. that doesn't happen. And that you're you're it's consultancy, and a lot of it is more individual work. So you're 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 sitting on your own writing proposals, writing strategies, and th- I found that really fun to have that responsibility for myself, um, but also to have that exposure to a lot of different clients all the time. And that was another time. I mean, I feel very lucky to always seem to go to businesses that are on the, you know, w- w- yeah, going going up. And that mm. time. At, uh, Interbrand was absolutely untouchable, and yes. we were we were uh, we were on fire, and and we really create. I mean, Interbrand, Interbrand created the brand consultancy category it didn't exist before they they invented that they, they invented brand valuation. So I um, mean, it had a credibility in the market. Once again, it opened a lot of doors, and I learnt an awful lot. I mean, the people there were so smart, so 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 smart. I used to always say they joust in Latin there. You know, <laughs> they're just a different breed, and I, I learned a lot from that.
0: And you went to San Francisco to work with Interbrand. I so did. why So why, why were they there? What was the – I mean, there's not a lot of clients there really,
1: is uh, there? Yeah. Well, I think there's a, quite a few retail clients yeah. there and then technology was building at the time. This is 2000s. Um, so, you know, I, there was certainly no shortage of, of clients. But, um, you know, my husband got transferred over to San Francisco too, so we were both lucky that our employers wanted us to do well there. So I had a lovely four-and-a-half and a half years in san francisco i a love a, a lovely city and you know people talk about um some of the great retailers in the U- u.s and you know i learned an awful lot from being a trader joe's shopper you know and um, i learned which i took into coles my when i went to coles i learned an awful lot from being a whole food shopper i learned an awful lot from being a target u.s shopper um they do retail very very well indeed right. um so yeah and then i came back to australia and yeah Move to Coles. <laughs> yeah.
0: So um before we move on to Coles, just Interbrand. What's happened? So Interbrand were brainy it when you were there. Mm. They're still going there, aren't they? What's, they are, yeah, 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 so yeah
1: they are. I, I look I don't have a lot of I don't know many people who are still there. No. A lot of like similarly to the Sa- you know the Sa- story or the Tesco story, a lot of those people have gone and started their own yeah their own agencies and I'm I work with one of them in Sydney now, um, who used to be the creative director at um, Interbrand and is now running his own place in Sydney. So there, there, there are a lot of um, a lot of spots around the globe. But Interbrand still, yeah, I'm, I'm sure doing very well. But I, I don't actually personally work with them at this moment.
0: So when you got on that plane to come back home or mm. back to Australia, mm. um, what did you know that you were good at?
1: That's such a good question. Um, I I think that if I have only one skill. It's making complex things simple. Mm. And I think I learned that at Sachi, and I think you probably learnt that along the way too, which is you're able to look at complex problems and you're able to chunk it into what needs to be done and what are the key, the key issues. And so um, someone said to me the other day, oh, you know, what's your why? I've never been asked that before and I couldn't think of anything to say. I really, I was like, I don't really know what my why is, but what do I get a kick out of? Okay. I get a serious kick out of seeing a shambles. <laughs> And, and making it better, yeah. yeah, and making people enjoy making it better and, um, yeah, simplifying things in order to drive the right things at the right time to make the right impact.
0: Were you already good at the team thing? Because when I look at you now, I know you're exceptional at the team thing. But were you good at it when you got on that plane?
1: It's um, a while ago now, right? It it's, is. It is a long time yeah. ago. I, look, I think um, I I have had a... A big change in the way that I lead, but it didn't happen 20 years ago. It happened in the last five years mm-hmm. because the market has changed about, and people have changed so much. And the way we were all brought up, and we're the product of our environments, is not the way people today want to be led. Right. And I was talking to someone about it this morning. I was saying, you know, I'm always. I used to always be in a hurry. Right. Everyone, right, 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 right. Right, what are we right. doing? But right? you know, <laughs> that people don't want that anymore. You know, they, they, it's not always this race to find the answer quickly, which is sort of how I was a bit wired. Yes. And, and my thing is now very calm, really, really, really listening and absorbing much more information um, before I make decisions and bringing people along the journey. And when it, I'll tell you something, I mean, this might be interesting to you or to the, to the people listening, is um, we've done a lot of work on psychological safety. Like, yeah. I didn't even know it was a thing and I've learned all about it right and it really means do you have the confidence to speak up in meetings and all the rest of it yeah. and I, I can you imagine if someone said to you in your in your business Russ oh I'm too scared to say something you'd be devastated yeah. so I, just something I really don't want to do but one thing I learned that I've been doing my entire life that you're not allowed to do or you know doesn't help is you're not spe- at the end of, at the end of the meeting you say so what does everyone think <laughs> yeah you, 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 that that's actually really unhelpful, and so for twenty years I've been saying. So what does everyone oh. think? Right, now no. thinking or being
0: inclusive. Exactly.
1: Basically, <laughs> it's actually the opposite. What you have to do is you to say to everyone at the front, right? We're going to see this work, or we're going to see this discussion. Then we're going to have a discussion. I'm going to ask you by name. What, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. And I'll be really looking forward to hearing what you say. So you call on people individually rather than I mean I, I didn't never unless someone you know until this this Dr Katie Spirit taught me this until I learned that I wouldn't even have known that I was frightening people by saying what do you think you know <laughs> so so um I'm learning a lot on my leadership yeah. um, and you know journey to be a um, and I think that I'm all the better for it and last year I got you know a lot of feedback about the way I work and I was just you know both ears open about how I can be better and I think it's I feel very privileged to have been told that and it's and it's great to be able to change even at this stage in your career.
0: So what do you think, of course, can be frightening if the person asking the question is really clever, right?
1: Well, of course. Yeah. yeah. And
0: has got a very strong point of view and a powerful perspective and yeah. um, is confident in their own mind.
1: That's right. So <laughs> another way that we do that <laughs> is that we ask the most junior person in the, in the meeting first. Yeah. Okay? So what that does, it stops that, Yep. The, mo- the senior person thinks that, therefore, we all think that. No, no, no. Let's start with the most junior person in the meeting, and let's see what they have got to say. And 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 it t- opens up, and it really is just so much better than this world we we lived in, which was mm. the most the big character in the room running the show, and everyone going riding with both hands, you know,
0: and being frightened about what you might say. Yeah, <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. yeah, oh, there's definitely that. Okay, um, so you I came. Don't to, want to do that anymore. You,
0: you got on a plane mm-hmm. um, with family and yep. arrived. In Melbourne, yep. Did you know you were going to Coles, or you got no? I didn't think so. So,
1: so I didn't know I was going anywhere, but I looked on Google Maps and I saw this big building that lived that was sort of near where I where I was going to live, and and I said, "What's that?" And I was, "Oh, it's Coles." Actually, it's funny. I might end up working there. And then a friend of a friend in New York knew someone who asked if I would help um, one of the agencies here for twelve weeks on a project very tough actually but i said sure 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 sure. so i thought i could go in for 12 weeks and it's hard coming back from mat leave you know three children um but i did that and then after the 12 weeks my boss um at the time said would i like to stay and that was turned into the first four and a half years um which was an amazing period of time uh when west farmers took over very quickly after i arrived ian mcleod came in um it was um a, just a thrilling experience really to have been part of even for that short period of time.
0: And so if I think, was there a full, was there a press ad at the time about expecting change or am I... Am I, am I don't remember that. I, I think that's Kmart, that? isn't it? You're right, that's Kmart. <laughs> <laughs> that is
1: another great campaign, I have to say. Yeah, and were really you involved good. in that one? No, 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 I had nothing to do with that. Mm. I'm, I never worked on Kmart, but um, yeah.
0: You, you left, well, you did some Target, of course. I
1: did, I went to Target. I did... Um, About nearly two years there working um, one of the uh, the COO I think went from, I think he was the CEO, went from Coles to Target and it's all owned by West Farmers so it was a pretty easy transition and I was brought in um, uh, to help in the marketing department and I ran the catalogue, I ran insights, um, category marketing, a few different things over that period of time. I'd never worked in apparel before. Uh, and that's a real eye-opener because it operates completely differently to the retail space, so, you know, where you're managing the cycle of fashion and that was quite fascinating. Um, mm. But I, I re- I'm so glad I did that. Um, my old boss encouraged me to do it and he said, you'll learn something, and I, I really did. So, um, but that Geelong road got a bit um, extra after a while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so the re- so I suppose where we're getting to now is the passion thing
1: because
0: mm-hmm. I've got teams. I think you're a great team leader ideas you love ideas yep. unraveling complex problems
1: yeah
0: retail food
1: mm-hmm.
0: so can we nail it so what ha- so why australia post
1: so everyone asks me that my um an old supplier of mine in the publishing world uh, nicole sheffield she was the ceo of news digital yes and she was a partner of mine at coles we did the taste deal together which was one of the biggest yeah um digital agreements at so, Over that period, so we had a great relationship. um, Worked very closely together, and then she asked me to come across. I said no, and then when I then she said, "Come in and have a chat." And I went in. I met her. I met some of the other members of the team. I met Christine Holgate, of course, and um, she's a very magnetic
0: individual.
1: I really thought this is an exciting time to be part of uh, an institution that wants to change.
0: Okay, so. It is an institution that wants to change. I know that um, without any doubt that that's true. Mm. But, gee, it must be tough. Um, they are wired in a particular way, and they, they have been wired that way for more than 100 years. Yeah. So it must be very difficult.
1: So I think I think you're right. And, I mean, going back to your original question, like why did I go, you, obviously not just about Nicole and Christine, but that I was going to learn something new. And you and I talked about it at the time, which was... Um, when you're at Coles or when you're at it's pretty clear what you're there to do you're there to drive profitable revenue um, to build the brand um, to make the team members feel proud about working there um, and to you know ultimately get um, more people through the door and, and all the rest of it whilst if you're at Australia Post there are a lot of different competing stakeholders and not everyone has the same priorities right okay and so that's the thing that i th- i didn't i actually was naive about that i didn't realize it was going to be as as complex and, and different as it is and um, i've learned a lot the hard way and made some mistakes along the way since i've been there but um it's, it's been absolutely fascinating because sometimes it's a license the licensees are a big part of our our team at australia post so but they have their own perspective on on what, what they want, we have the government as well. We have the Australian people who are yeah. very, very concerned about what we're doing, um, and then we have all our customers, the ones who receive stuff. And where's my parcel? Mm-hmm. As well as obviously all the people who um, are our merchant customers, the Cottons, the Myers, the David Jones, the whoever who are who are paying the paying the bills and who are running enormous numbers of volume through the network at Christmas time. I think there were 52 million parcels delivered at Christmas time. It's a lot of people driving up a lot of streets. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, random thought. But Australia, just our country, we've done brilliantly at conquering distance. And, yeah. and Australia Post it plays an incredible role in that.
1: Yeah, I think particularly if you think about regional rural Australia, there's a lot of businesses and who've left those areas and, and we're there, you know, often the last place in town. And we have a really... Distinct role and relationship with rural and regional Australia very different to how people perceive Australia posts in the cities. Very different indeed, and that's actually an unusual thing. I've never worked on a brand where people where it's perceived so differently in different areas. Right. Um, but it's that's another one of the great the great challenges of of working here.
0: Because of course, when you think about brands, I mean, I'm sure when you're at interbrand, the the notion of where can we stretch this brand is something which is you know really interesting, sure. right? So. Australia Post, it's a pretty. I would imagine it's it's pretty flexy, really.
1: Oh my gosh, it's so flexy. <laughs> yeah. So when you're at Coles, sh- should we go into insurance? And, and customers like, well, oh, yeah, not really. At Australia Post, should we go into insurance? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> here's a <the> brochure. <laughs> yeah, because because there's such trust in the in yeah. the brand. They know we're not we're going to like do everything we can to do the right thing. So, but so we could go into lots of places, and we have. And I launched home insurance and car insurance so, uh, during the during the pandemic and it's done very well but you know really at at its core people want us to be reliable they want us to do us to fulfill our social purpose they want us to do the right thing by the communities they want us to invest so because we're we're here you know like trying to support the future of australia and that's why you know why, why is it interesting to me to work at australia post is you you're I hope all of us in the management team that we leave a legacy that the next people who come after, I'd think, God, I'm glad they did that because that helps Australia and Australian businesses. And also getting a bird's eye view into these startling number of small businesses who are giving it a go. And you go there and you are energised every single time because these are people, they're mortgaging their house um, to launch a, you know, um, a, a new brand. I mean, I don't know if you know the the guy who's developed Odys. You know, it's do you know Odys, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. And this is this is full garage to the globe stuff, and it's just wonderful to watch, and just to be a small part of helping. Well, you'd be a major supplier. Uh, well, supporter of we yeah. are. I'm, I'm a buyer too. I've got them in my household, but yeah <laughs> we 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 you know we want to support these people, and it's and that's just and you'd love it too, Russ, because the the energy around you know um enterprise and entrepreneurship and and you got a f- and you get and you get that up close and that you can never get tired of that in Australia and i think that being a brand that can help facilitate that and that means investing because we have to keep investing to make sure we've got the network and to be the backbone of what australia's going to want in 10 20 50 years time
0: so speaking of network and speaking of backbone the digitisation of australia post must be a an unbelievably complex exercise. Yeah, so, yeah. so,
1: how's all that going? Oh, look, we've got, like many big businesses, we've got a lot of legacy systems, but we've got a lot of smart people, and we've just hired an incredible EGM of digital and data who um, is doing a root and branch, you know, look through it all. But we have, to, there's just we have to do it. It's yeah. not, it's not like a, a question of whether. And you know, we talk about digitizing ourselves as well as improving the digital experience for customers because we've got to make it easier for all our team members to work to work here. Um, we've got to make it easier for the customers. But, you know, I'll, I'll give you a little example of digital that, you know, things talk about the pandemic and how things come about. Well, signature on delivery, that used to re- revolve around a guy coming to your door, right? Sign this because you've got an expensive item and you, you know, are you there or are you are not there? Well, in the pandemic, you're not allowed to take the pen or get close enough to sign, so what do we do? Forgot, so you know, it came about organically that the drivers take a photo and just upload it, right. right? And then if you've got the app, which hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in Australia do have our app, um, you can just see straight away, That you just press the button, it's bing, and it, you can see it sitting on your porch. Yep. I mean, that that's a great example of solving a customer problem, yep. you know, digitally. Um, and we've got loads of those.
0: So one of the great thrills over the last few years mm. for me is just – Watching you getting louder and louder in the, in the market, which I love, because you ought to. You'd, well, A, you deserve it, but B, you've got a lot of good stuff to say and there's going to be a lot of people who want to hear from you, um, and not just the people that you've worked with, who um, who I know put you right up there, and as you should be. So I feel like you're starting to fulfil a small part of your ambition, Ams. So just tell us what's next.
1: Um. Gosh, I absolutely, I wake up every day very happy and love love what I do. Um, I sit on the board of Food Bank, um, which um, I feel very proud to do. And I've got a real passion, as you know, for food. So working on that's really important. Um, I think that um, I've still got a lot of legs left in me. I don't feel old. Um, I feel like um, I've always got ideas still so where's it going to go i'm not too worried about it i just know that you and i are going to be working until we're 75
0: for sure right but in does that frighten way, you
1: no not in the slightest no same. no I, I want to be yeah uh, you know I, i'm not saying i'll be working in the same capacity but you know I want to be doing something because it's what keeps you active and interested and interesting I think to the you know to the outside world and to yourself um so I'm not I've never been afraid of hard work I think I work like you we you know we love it and because of that it's not hard um but yeah I haven't got a plan yet We'll have to discuss it.
0: Okay, Amber. So, Ams, it's <laughs> yep. been great having a chat with you. Thank you. You're Ross. a star, oh, that's very dead said star. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the next more than 20 years.
1: Thank you so much.